What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. The Yappy Program on WVNN. Um, uh, breaking news, everyone, just so you know, uh, President Joe Biden, he likes ice cream. I don't know if you knew that. I feel like it's very important information for you to know. He, he likes ice cream because he, I, apparently the media talked to him again and he's at an ice cream place and he likes You've ice cream. You've seen that picture of him though, right? I think of, it's the best picture of any president ever personally. Of him eating ice cream? With the money, with 20 bucks in his hand and aviators on. I think it just <laughs> looks great. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a great picture. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, apparently, while eating ice cream, he was asked uh, very, he was asked about the Israel-Hamas war. And with a bunch of uh, food in his mouth, he, he basically said that Israel has agreed <laughs> to... You're showing me the picture. Oh, man. That's not what it looked like yesterday. Um, he said that Israel has agreed to a ceasefire in the Gaza Strip during the Islamic holy month of Ramadan, but Hamas is not prepared to call a truce. You know, it's it's funny. If Hamas doesn't call a truce, will the protesters finally uh, say this is Hamas's fault now? So, like, if Israel says we're willing to do a ceasefire and Hamas doesn't agree, are these idiots still going to protest to Israel? Uh, you know the answer, unfortunately. You're listening to the Yaffe program. I'm going to talk more about this right now with our guest, Dakota Wood who is a national security foreign policy expert. He joins me Tuesday, every Tuesday on this show. Dakota, how are you this morning? Doing well. Doing. I love the lead in there on the ice cream bit. I can just picture Thomas Jefferson <laughs> in the Jefferson Memorial, you know, statuesquely staring out. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, you know, <laughs> on his big chair. And then you've got Joe Biden with an ice cream cone and aviator shade. You know, <laughs> I, I, feel, yeah, I feel like... That is the only time I will agree to some kind of statue memorial of Biden. If they ever make one and put it in D.C., he must be holding ice cream. He must. I think so. Or, I think so. Now, I think you're spot on with Hamas, you know, and, and uh, in this uh, this business with ceasefire. Uh, Hamas leadership has still not pulled back from its objective of the destruction of Israel. They still haven't released the hostages, you know, women and children, etc. Uh, and yet the world wants Israel, you know, to stop pursuing these terrorists, you know, that murdered so many people. I and mean, we've talked about this a hundred times, right? But that's just the reality that they're dealing with. And in this uh, town of Rafa on the um, Egyptian border, um, that's where Hamas leadership is at. That's where they're holding the hostages at, you know, in all likelihood. They've got multiple battalions of fighters that still uh, operate there. And so they continue to use humans, Gazans, the Palestinians, as shields uh, to be able to prosecute attacks out. But if Israel responds, then they get blamed for, you know, any innocent civilians, innocent, in quotes, uh, civilians that have been harmed in any way. So I, I'm just not sure how it really plays out. Yeah, I, I don't know either. And I was even kind of surprised to hear that there might be a temporary ceasefire because I don't know if you happen to see the interview with Benjamin Netanyahu and Margaret Brennan over the weekend. 
on CBS Face the Nation, but he, I mean, he was pretty, pretty clear saying that they're going to continue this offensive in that area against uh, Hamas. Uh, what, what do you, did you happen to catch any of that? No, I didn't, um, but it, it's kind of par for the course, right? That, that you still have an enemy that hasn't been completely defeated. And so pulling back and giving them breathing space is only going to allow Hamas to regroup and to continue its violent campaign against Israel and Israelis, you know, fomenting all this stuff. And so they will declare that a win. You know, all their uh, terrorist fighters that have fallen uh, to the Israeli sword are, are celebrated as martyrs, right? And uh, th- and they'll use that as propaganda to continue to wage this war. And Netanyahu knows this, right? And yet he's under tremendous pressure to secure the release of these hostages. And there is mounting global pressure uh, for humanitarian relief, you know, to the Palestinians that have been uh, pushed uh, southward. So there, there is no easy answer here. Uh, but I think his ultimate concern is the long-term viability of the country and, and what uh, these terrorists will do if given any kind of space. So it's just a, it's a really, really difficult prospect. Egypt clearly is up in arms about any kind of push into uh, Rafah. Uh, it's amazing that Israel is citing the holy month of Ramadan uh, for Muslims. Uh, when I was at U.S. Central Command, uh, for a while uh, during the operations following 9-11, there was a lot of discussion about when you could do attacks and were you violating something on the Islamic calendar that might cause additional problems. And what the historians found at was that the Muslims were always fighting each other, right? Yep. So dates on a calendar really didn't matter for them, and yet they hold the West to some different standards. So it just adds to the complexity of what Israel is having to deal with. Yeah, how? Because you're right. It's a very complex situation, very dangerous situation. How exactly does Israel do this offensive while trying to limit civilian casualties? Like, Benjamin Netanyahu said there would be some kind of evacuation, but to where? Right. Well, that's just it. So it'd have to be up north, back into Gaza or possibly into Israel, depending on how they want to handle these people. But then you would have to uh, erect some sort of support structure, you know, tentage, food, water, medical care uh, for a million or more people, you know, very, very labor uh, logistics intensive on that. And you'll find that that the terrorists are going to try to uh, merge themselves into the population. So how do you sort out you know, military-age males who might be Hamas fighters, you know, dressed as civilians, etc., and separate them out from the mass of humanity trying to come out of that area. So Israel will have to accept tactical risk to its troops, where a suicide bomber, you know, going through a processing center or something like that might cause additional havoc, and they won't care about, um, you know, causing casualties around their, uh, the surrounding civilians, because they'll just use that as more propaganda and lay it at the feet of Israel. So they'll have to go in on the ground. Uh, it'll be uh, manpower intensive uh, so that they can methodically move from building to building down through streets. And you're talking a three-dimensional battle space, you know, taller buildings and then any kind of underneath infrastructure like sewer lines and basements and those sorts of things, you know, that they've had to deal with further north. So it just it's going to take time, uh, very labor intensive and high risk. Speaking with Dakota Wood, he's a national security foreign policy expert. 
Um, did want to move on to Ukraine as well. The war continues on there. What What's the latest um, in Ukraine? Uh, Russia has the advantage. So they have an incredible advantage in munitions, especially in artillery. A lot of people have covered this. Uh, they can fire 10 rounds uh, for every round that the Ukraine can, can respond with. And, and that same kind of mismatch in ammunition goes down to individual rifles and automatic weapons like machine guns and those sorts of things. So this um, lag in Western support in getting additional ammunition to the Ukrainians uh, means that Russia now has firepower advantage, and they're using that along with their kind of human wave tactics, which is clearly in the Russian historical experience, you know, from Stalingrad and and uh, uh, battles against Napoleon. I mean, this is, you know, that has a deep uh, history of how Russia conducts war, and they're just overwhelming the ability of the Ukrainians to hold on to positions. So you see this incremental eating away at the offensive line where they're pushing further and further into Ukraine, and, and they will continue that tactic through the spring and into the summer. So, uh, I mean, that's not good. For Ukraine, no. what? I mean, <laughs> no, I, I, I know that's uh, like kind yeah. of stating Zelensky, the obvious. You know, but... pleading for additional support. Uh, I'm sure you've tracked the news that there has been some uh, suggestions, I believe, by the French that you could see uh, European troops on the ground. That opens a whole new dimension to the war if the Europeans get involved, because Russia will view that now as a direct war with the West, which means that any kind of staging uh, bases or any kind of supporting locations in you know Germany or Poland or France or anywhere else are then legitimate war targets. So is Europe mm, yeah. willing to open itself up to strikes from Russia, and then would Europe respond with strikes into into Russia? Right, and and so you could see this expansion of the war, which is what everybody has been fearful of since the first days two years ago. Yeah, I would be pretty surprised if Europe got involved in a direct way. I mean, I guess if they were really desperate, is there any way that we can have like a deal here between Ukraine and Russia? Maybe like Russia keeps part of Ukraine, you know, the Crimea region mm -hmm. while maybe Ukraine then can join NATO. Like you kind of draw the lines there. Is that like, it's just, just impossible to come up with some kind of peace deal right now? Well, the red line for Putin is going to be any guarantee or any, promise or or an agreement that that ukraine would be able to join nato i mean it was been you know nato expansion that has really been prodding that bear anyway and and uh russian fears of being encircled by the west uh, so that kind of started this whole thing uh, uh putin views uh ukraine as russian territory historically anyway so a near-term solution would be a ceasefire or some kind of an end to the violence with Russia holding all of the terrain that it currently controls. And it, and it would want an assurance that Ukraine then becomes kind of a neutral state, you know, like a buffer region between Russia proper and the West. So maybe, um, you know, joining the mm. European Union, but certainly not NATO, especially with Sweden on the verge of being you know, the 32nd uh, member state. I mean, that'll probably happen this week. So I think you're talking a rump Ukraine. Russia would declare that a huge win 
for a greater Mother Russia, and then uh, Putin would rebuild his capabilities and probably push through Belarus to threaten some of the Baltic states, you know, Estonia, Lithuania, etc., and probably put pressure on the Eastern European countries that used to be Soviet uh, republics. So I think that's that's where that outcome would lead to. And I know Trump is talking about ending, you know, the war as soon as he would come into office, and it would be a negotiated settlement like that. You get a short-term win, but at a long-term strategic cost. Yeah, I mean, that. the only problem I see with a deal like that is there would have to be some kind of security guarantee for Ukraine, right, in order for Ukraine to agree. I mean, they don't want to just be neutral so Putin can just change his mind in a couple of years and take over again. Well, that was the deal was at the Oslo Accords or something back in the early 90s, where Ukraine gave up its Soviet-era nuclear weapons based on the assurances of the West that it would have some kind of a security umbrella or, you know, cover, right? So we're going to give up our nuclear weapons, and and Western Europe and uh, the United States uh, didn't make ironclad promises like, you know, an actual security treaty, but there were these mouthed assurances that the integrity of Ukraine would be protected against, you know, a future aggressive Russia. Well, time passes, Russia does what everybody believed it would never do. You have this war. And so if you were Ukraine, would you trust some kind of promise from the West that that the West would rally to Ukraine's defense if Russia ever did something like this again? I mean, I, if I were a Ukrainian, I'd be highly skeptical. Yeah. I mean, I, don't know. I, I wouldn't blame them for being skeptical. Um, you had mentioned Sweden joining NATO. Uh, real quick, did you want to talk more about that? Well, it, it, it completes that northern tier. So uh, Norway had been in for many, many years. And then uh, a year ago, Finland joined uh, and uh, uh, was first Turkey. And then Hungary were holdouts uh, to agree to Sweden joining. There's this spat between Turkey and Sweden. That was smoothed over with the promise of a sale of some Swedish uh, Gripen fighter aircraft, which are very, very good. And it's stuff that Turkey already flies. So I think that I'm sorry that Hungary already flies. And so I think this kind of um, gave an out for for uh, for uh, Viktor Orban in Hungary to finally agree. He gave the OK to his legislature. That parliament has then agreed to it. He just has to sign off on it. And if Putin was looking to break up NATO, this invasion of Ukraine has strengthened NATO resolve mm-hmm. and has forced countries or prompted countries like Sweden uh, you know, independent, non-aligned for 200 years to change its tune, and now it's joining NATO, and it's it's really a good thing for that alliance. Dakota Wood, really appreciate you coming on the show. We'll talk to you again next time. Absolutely. Take care. You can find more of his stuff at heritage.org. And, of course, the podcast of this interview, anywhere podcasts are available. We'll be back in a moment. News Talk 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN. The Yappy Program. Are you ready for hard-hitting observations? She is the least credible person I may have ever seen on camera. The Ben Shapiro Show brings you all the news you need to know in America today. Guys, not everything is 40 chess. Why can't we just laugh? Ben breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. We all know I'm the number one rapper in the world thanks to Facts by Tom McDonald. The Ben Shapiro Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hey, everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today 
a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day. Plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.